Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. jump into our study this morning, as uh, you guys should already be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are continuing our study through uh, Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, a church he is ministering to not only in person as he visits and uh, spends time there in the city of Corinth, but also through correspondence. Uh, Paul has been sending letters to the church to address certain issues and challenges, but also to encourage them in the times of persecution and suffering and trial that they're experiencing. In fact, in this second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul is opening himself up a little bit more and exposing some of his challenges and even spiritual depression that he's experiencing in the ministry and uh, the hope and the comfort and the encouragement that God is providing for him. And the chapter that we have in front of us this morning is perhaps one of the most popular chapters in all the Bible. There's some wonderful verses that talk about if we are in Christ, we're a new creation. The old has passed away and all things become new. So the title of the message today is A New Creation based on these verses. And the point that we want to remember today is that Jesus repairs our old identity with a new reality. That in Christ, because of what Christ has done for us, there is a a new creation. Uh, In fact, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus when he was asking about uh, what Jesus has come to provide, this new life. And uh, Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again, that we're all born of water physically, but we all must be born of the Spirit spiritually. And this new creation that uh, exists in our lives is uh, kind of the idea of a metamorphosis. It's a radical change. It uh, has the picture or the metaphor of a caterpillar that is being transformed into a butterfly, something that is creeping and crawling along the ground to something that's fluttering on the wind. There's this radical change and this new reality in, in Christ and a reconciliation that we have with God because of what Christ has done for us. And he repairs, Christ repairs our old identity, our old life, our old experiences, and our old identity is a life apart from God. And so we're going to see this in uh, three ways, just a very simple outline for us as we read through this chapter. One is we're going to see the resurrection from God, that we can have confidence in the resurrection of the physical body and the spiritual life. Secondly, we're going to see the reckoning that we all have before God, and no one is excused from this reckoning uh, in the life that we live here on earth. And then thirdly, we're going to see the access that anyone has in the reconciliation, the restored relationship that we have with God. And so uh, we're just going to jump right into it. In just a few moments, also at the end of the service, we're going to partake of communion, and it's a wonderful time to reflect and remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but also the solution that enables us to be made new uh, in Christ. So jumping into verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, for we know, now that's an important phrase, because it's not a wishful thinking, it's not hoping that something might happen, although hope is a powerful thing. 
Uh, Paul says that these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. There is hope in the confidence that we have in the promises of God, but we also know for a fact that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now this word clothed is uh, a word that Paul chooses to use in some of his other letters to describe the nature that we have uh, in Christ, and the newness that we have. In fact, Paul would say that we should be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, that we should put off the old man or the old woman and put on the new man or the new woman who is being renewed. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, Paul describes how our physical body, our outward body, is perishing. It's falling apart. In fact, last week I mentioned that, that we have uh, you know, bionic men and million-dollar women <laughs> because of the hardware that we have in our bodies. We're falling apart. We're perishing physically on the outside. And that's what Paul chooses to use in continuation of that thought in this chapter. He calls the physical body a tent. And if you've ever been camping, then you'll know that a, temp, a tent is temporary. And uh, at some point during your camping trip, you have to break camp. You have to break down the tent. A tent was not intended to live in permanently. And uh, that was the same case for the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament. It was not uh, a permanent place. It was a temporary place. And our physical bodies are are a temporal uh, dwelling place, just like a tent. Our bodies are temporary dwelling places for the Lord. And uh, so Paul is saying that we should be clothed at some point with this new reality, with the new spiritual. So we are, in similar ways, a triune being. We have a a body, a soul, and a spirit. Our bodies were created from the dust of the earth. As the Bible says, we'll go back to the dust. Uh, But we also have a soul, and that soul was known by God and formed and knit together in our mother's womb. But we're also told that God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, so we have the spirit. But unfortunately, what happened in the Garden of Eden and the disobedience and the rebellion against God's word, that sin has continued on into the human race, so now our, our bodies are affected by the curse, and it's falling apart, and our soul is lost in separation from God and our spirit is dead apart from being made new and being born again and uh, being a new creation. And so we groan in this, Paul says. And uh, this tent, we groan being burdened because we desire to be clothed with the immortality that uh, will be swallowed up because of what Jesus has done for us. In verse 5 he says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now I don't want us to be confused that just because we live here on planet Earth in these spacesuits of physical bodies to inhabit this planet, that God's not with us. In fact, the Bible says that uh, God will never leave us nor forsake us. 
and that God is omnipresent. He's always with us. In fact, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will be the comforter, who will be the helper. He'll be the one that will walk with you uh, throughout it all. And so Paul is alluding to the spiritual sense of our separation from God in eternity. So he's contrasting and comparing the physical, temporal, again, continuation of the thought in chapter 4, with the spiritual and the eternal. And so to be at home in the body is somewhat to be absent from the Lord. But in verse 7, Paul says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now that's very similar to what he said, that even in our light affliction that we experience is but for a moment. And while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And oftentimes in our pain and our affliction and our suffering, we're looking at the storm. We're looking at the heartache. We're gazing at those problems and just glimpsing at Jesus. And the opposite should be true, where we are gazing at Jesus and we are seeing the the heartache and the difficulty around us, but we're comforted by the Lord. It's an eternal purpose God is doing in our lives. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So just in this one verse, I think there's a couple of doctrines that you could uh, clarify. Uh, Paul here does not teach that there is a soul sleep, that after you die, you are in this state of unconsciousness until the Lord comes. Uh, To be absent from the body, Paul says here, is to be present with the Lord. There is an instantaneous uh, transformation that takes place, but we also see that there is not a teaching of uh, some doctrines like uh, purgatory, where there's a, a, a period of limbo or a time of uh, in between that uh, you know our sins or our lives need to be worked out a little bit more until we are ready for heaven. In fact, that's actually what planet Earth is for. That's what these trials and these sufferings are for. In fact, God is choosing to fix us down on earth so that we will fit up in heaven, so that we'll be ready. And Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is an instantaneous uh, presence before the face of God that Paul describes here. So we see in these opening verses, Paul talk about this resurrection and this new life, that everyone in Christ has confidence in the resurrection that comes from God. And this earthly tent, this temporary body or dwelling place, must take on an eternal. And here is the description of a building or a temple uh, that is permanent. And uh, the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And the disciples, when they heard that, they were confused and said, where are you going, Jesus? And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. That's the word being used here. It's buildings or mansions or room. That where I am, there you may be also. You know, heaven would be a living hell if Jesus wasn't there. We wouldn't want to be there. Heaven, with all of its glory and all of its beauty and all of its majesty, is great, but it's not as great as being in the presence of Jesus. To pass from this life into the next, to have the new body being clothed with the burden of the physical body. Anybody have any burdens in the physical body? I'm sure you do. 
Somebody mentioned to me last week saying that, you know, hey, I do have a, a new knee or metal or whatever. And whenever it gets cold, I can feel it. My metal gets cold. You have to warm it up a bit. You have to warm those bodies up. To be burdened uh, uh, points to the fact that the new body is superior to the old body. And this old body is inferior. So it surpasses the beauty and the glory. And though it might be a momentary, temporary affliction that we are experiencing, the glory outweighs any of that. To be clothed, to be clothed with the Lord's righteousness. Our new bodies that Paul describes in his letters to the church are incorruptible. They're immortal. And they're also righteous in Christ. So we walk by faith not by sight. We don't look at the things that we can see, but the things that we cannot see. And I love that because uh, I think it was last, uh, last cycle of the Summer Olympics that I ended up watching a little of the Paralympics. I don't know if you watched some of that, but it's very uh, encouraging and inspiring to see these athletes. And one of the events was uh, the 100-meter dash. These athletes in the Paralympics run all and do all the same uh, events and activities but uh, in the 100-meter dash, these runners were blind. And I thought, how in the world are they going to get through this? And they were interviewing some of them. And uh, when they run the race in the 100-meter dash, these blind runners have guides with them. And they're actually tethered. There's a small little lanyard between their hands that keep them connected. And uh, the guide is speaking to them and talking to them and telling them left, right, fast, and they are in sync with one another. They're in step with one another. It's kind of like the, uh, the old three-legged race when you would be, as a kid, your uh, leg, your middle leg were tied together and you would run and try to not fall. And this is the same uh, as these athletes. And I thought that is such a wonderful example of how we have been given the Holy Spirit as the guarantee here on planet Earth to walk with us, to guide us, to be tethered to him, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, to be listening to his voice. And his voice is expressed in the word of God. And to be guided by him and in step with him. Okay, I shouldn't turn that way. That's going to be causing some problems in my life. Or I need to stop and I need to rest or I need to wait. I need to not push through. I need to just wait in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit here, Paul says, backs up the promises of heaven with a down payment of hope right now. We have the hope of the future glory that outweighs any sort of uh, pain and affliction that we may be experiencing because Paul is going to connect the experiences that we have here on planet Earth in the physical bodies with a reality in the future that what we do and say now has an eternal impact because Paul is going to call all of us as followers of Jesus Christ to a point of reckoning before God, to give an account of our lives. And we see that in verse 9. Look with me there. Therefore, we make it our aim. Well, he just said in verse 8 that, yes, we desire to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Everyone say pleasing. To please the Lord. In fact, Paul chooses to use this phrase often in his letters to describe how we are an aroma to God, well-pleasing to him. And uh, in the book of uh, Romans, uh, chapter 12, we're told that we should 
be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable act of worship or of service. And so we make it our aim, Paul says. For, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he or she has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. I think that's an interesting word Paul chooses to use, the word terror. And it's a play on the word, the judgment seat of Christ. We understand this word to mean a step or a podium. In two instances, it could refer to the step or the podium or the platform of the magistrate or the ruler who would uh, enact his judgment. And in that instance, it was a place of terror and of fear and of reverence and of awe. But it was also a recognition of a platform where runners would receive rewards, where you would be evaluated based on your performance and given certain rewards. And so Paul is addressing this place of the judgment seat of Christ, as well as the purpose in light of the lives that we are living now. For we must all appear. Second point here is that no one is excused from reckoning before God. We will not give an account for the lives of other people, but we will give an account for the lives that we live. And this is different from other judgment seats in the scriptures. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we're told that there is a great white throne of judgment. And in this great white throne of judgment, there is a judgment of non-believers. There is a judgment of destinies. However, Christ's jury, as described here in the judgment seat of Christ, is is to allocate trophies, not calculate destinies. It's to allocate rewards and recognition for the things that we have done here for the Lord in our words and in our actions, as well as in our motives, that the believer's actions and motives will be evaluated. So Paul says, in light of this reality, in light that every single one of Christ's followers will sit and stand before the Lord, is that we have an aim, we have a goal, we have a purpose. Paul says we make it our aim. I don't know if you've ever shot at targets or focused on anything really hard, but those crosshairs you want to keep very steady on the target, on uh, the center of the target. I guess we need to ask ourselves when we come across scriptures like this is, where is the focus of our lives? Where are we looking? What is our aim and what is our purpose and any purpose that is not well-pleasing to God? Well, I know that in my life, there are many things that aren't pleasing to the Lord. And so we have the Holy Spirit, who's the one who is walking right beside us and he's tethered to us and he's convicting us of certain things and he's challenging us to confess and to repent and to be molded and shaped and changed. In fact, Paul says he uses the word tent in this chapter, but in the previous chapter, he talks about how we are earthen vessels or uh, weak, fragile. So not only is our life uh, in the physical body temporary, but it's also fragile. And this change that God is taking place in our lives to give an account for the things that we do, is our life pleasing to the Lord Jesus today? What is the aim and the focus and the purpose and the intent and the motive of our lives? Paul says that because of this, we will stand before the Lord. You see, uh, Paul describes here 
not only the rewards that we can receive, but um, the regret that we can have. The rewards that we can have in the future, but the regret that we can have presently. And it is possible to have a saved soul, but a wasted life. How are we living our lives? Are we living our lives with meaning and significance and impact and purpose? In fact, in the following verses, Paul is going to describe the best life, the most radical life, the most meaningful and most significant life is in a reconciled and renewed relationship with God and now becoming a minister of God's reconciliation to other people. And we see that in verse 12. Paul says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Paul's talking about his ministry to the church. For the love of Christ compels us. That's a wonderful phrase. You can circle that in the person's Bible sitting behind you. Just turn around right now and just circle it. It's wonderful. Remember What is our motivation? Okay, so our focus and our aim is on pleasing God. And uh, our motivation for that is the love of Christ. The love of God in our hearts and in our lives compels us. And whenever we see Jesus look upon people, you see, people are God's passion. That's his project. People are God's passion. And whenever we see Jesus, who is the expressed image of God, ministering on planet earth we see him have compassion he's moved with compassion for people who are lost for people who are broken for people who have not a shepherd and a guide in their lives and so this same love not only compelled Jesus but it also compelled Paul and should compel us the love of Christ compels me because we judge thus that one died for all and then all died and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Here's the true heart of a servant. Here's the change that God makes in our lives. We're no longer living selfishly to please ourselves. The love of Christ is compelling us to serve and minister and to look to how we can love other people. But for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, for now, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Everyone say creation. Creation. A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone say reconciliation. Big, long, biblical word, but we're very familiar with this. It uh, has the idea of an accounting term as well, that you would reconcile your bank account with the what's coming in and what's going out. Uh, but you also, we also understand this word to be reconciled in relationship, so that there can be a repair and a restore and a renewal of a relationship that has been broken. And I love what Paul chooses to say here about anyone. Anyone is in Christ. They're a new creation. In fact, that also reminds us of one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. So we have whosoever and we have anyone. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin, the language of your tongue, or the place that you live. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Anyone or whosoever has this access to reconciliation with God. But the connection or the solution or the source to reconciliation with God is the work and person of Jesus Christ. He says, we have been reconciled through Jesus and have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Everyone say ambassadors. Now, an ambassador is a representative. There's many ambassadors that we have even for, this con- for our country. They represent the values and the principles of their home country in a foreign country. Jesus was the greatest ambassador who represented the principles of heaven, uh, who was tempted in all of our weaknesses, being clothed with humanity, but was without sin. He was the perfect ambassador of God. And now we're told that in Christ, with this new relationship and as a new creation, we are ambassadors. We represent the kingdom of heaven here on planet Earth. And so... He says, as ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. For he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We'll just pause there and make mention of a few closing remarks. I see a couple of things here in these verses. One, because of what Christ has done, we are new creations in Christ. We also have a new relationship with Christ. And in this new relationship with Christ, there is a new vocation or a new job or a new ministry or a new activity for Christ. And all of this is because of the new solution from Christ. He became sin for us. And this new creation, as I mentioned earlier, is a complete transformation. The old things are passed away. Now, Satan wants us to think about the old things in the past. He wants to drag us back. And we, he wants to remind us of those things, of our failures and of our, of our past mistakes. But the Bible also says that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he remembers our sin no more. God's not bringing up your past. All the old experiences, all the old uh, identity that you had are made fresh and new and repaired. It kind of reminds me of how you would remodel a home, right? The first thing you need to do is demo all of the old stuff. You need to destroy it. And uh, you have a good, fun demo day. And you get all of your angst and all of your energy out on uh, destroying cabinets and punching holes in walls. And and, uh, it's a good thing. You need to demo the old first. And after you demo the old, you need to design the new and uh, the, the new design is beautiful, it's flashy, it's current, it's functional, it's enjoyable, it's beautiful. And after the design is implemented, what do you do? You display it, you enjoy it, you put it up for others to see, you have people over. And the same is true of the remodel that Jesus makes in our lives as new creations in Christ Jesus. He destroys and dismantles our old identity, the old man lost, broken, in sin, desperate, and separated from God. 
And he designed something new and beautiful in these earthen vessels and clay pots that uh, bring out the most beautiful glory of God himself as people see the new, uh, the new you being developed by God and built. And then he puts that on display for other people to see so that people can see the power and the strength of Jesus Christ in our lives, and that we can be his ambassadors, but this new, this, this, the course of newness, friends, this is an important thing to remember, the course of newness passes through the cross of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you desire to have newness in your life, it is through the cross of Jesus. And a restored relationship with Christ brings renewed fellowship with God. That's what Paul says here, is that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There is a relationship. Ultimately, that's God's desire, to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with you, not rules and regulations, but to be restored in that relationship. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, one of the curses and the consequences of our sinful nature was separation from God. And now God is coming near through his son, Jesus Christ, giving us the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, reminding us of the promises that will come in the future. And then Paul says that as we've been made new in Christ and restored in relationship to him, we have something to do, a ministry of reconciliation. So you might not have thought as you come to church today that you would be enlisting in the ministry, but all of you are enlisted in the ministry right now. In fact, Paul says, anyone who is in Christ, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus says something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who serve and minister and love other people. You see, we are encouraged to work in reconciling our relationships with other people, but helping those who are lost and far away from God to be reconciled back to him. And that's through relationship that we have with other people. So our future destiny, as described here in the new reality that we have with Christ, shapes our present ministry for others. It's a heart of service and love, not only looking out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others and recognizing. You know, I was taught something very early on. I'm still learning it. I don't know it all perfectly now, but by my pastor who said that when you're talking to somebody, you should just quietly pray for them in your heart and in your mind. And I thought, wow, that's a really important thing to do. I don't do it all, all the time, but it helps, us, uh, it helps us understand what God is doing in their life. So if you listen to what people are saying, then you know the concerns and the cares that are going on in their heart. And if you quietly are praying, God is always at work in someone's life. He's always doing something in their life. And if we could just come alongside the Holy Spirit and listen to some of those difficulties and challenges as we're praying for them, then we're going to see those moments uh, in people's lives where they need reconciliation. They need to be brought close to the Lord. And we can help have that ministry as well as that word of reconciliation, the present ministry of loving and serving other people. This is the vocation that every single one of us has been given as a Christ follower. But it is only made possible, not in our own strength, but in what Jesus Christ has done for us. So there's a new solution. And that solution is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
That Jesus' sacrifice is the solution for our reconciliation. And that is something that we're going to reflect on and remember and celebrate as we partake of communion this morning. So I'm going to have our worship team come on up and they're going to lead us in a closing song. But also, let me encourage you just as you're considering the scriptures that we've read and studied this morning. There's some wonderful takeaways for us to help us stay focused on the life that we are living now. Because, as Paul said, in the future, we will all give an account for our lives. Maybe ask yourself this question as you hold the elements of communion representing Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. What is the aim and the focus and the motive and the intent of your life? Are there things in your life that are not well-pleasing to him? Allow this moment of communion to be an opportunity to confess those things that are not pleasing to allow the Holy Spirit to bring that conviction as well as that renovation. Maybe there needs to be some demolition that takes place in your life. Maybe God needs to destroy some of the things that are not pleasing so that he can remodel and repair your inner man or your inner woman who is being renewed day by day to look more like the person of Jesus Christ. But I also recognize in a room this size as well as those who are joining us online that there could be some who are not in a reconciled relationship with God. And let me encourage you that through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, becoming sin for you, you see the penalty and the payment was paid in full by what Jesus Christ has done. And that payment was received, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the newness of being a new creation in Christ Jesus. The most important relationship that you have in your life is the relationship that you have with the God who created you, who loves you, and who desires to walk with you. And if you do not have that relationship, and that relationship is not reconciled, you can reconcile that today by confessing your sin, by acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, being made new, transformed, because of the work of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, let me encourage all of us, if we are in Christ, then we have been given something of very precious value, and that is to help other people be brought close and near to the reconciling God who loves them. Maybe you can pray in the quietness of your own heart for those in your family or those uh, of your friends, those at work or those even in your neighborhood who are not reconciled to him. And as you begin to pray for them, let me tell you, God is going to give you opportunities to bring up the word and the ministry of service and reconciliation to them to help them be brought close to Jesus. God is going to use you to do that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this time of looking at your word this morning, being a new creation. We thank you that Many of us in this room can celebrate the fact that we have been made new because of Jesus Christ. But we don't want to just be made new, have our souls saved, but waste our life. What a sobering truth that fact is. We don't think about it all that often because we get so consumed and wrapped up in the distractions of this life. But if we could just be transported right now, as many are of our loved ones in this room, 
right before Jesus. How many of those things in our lives would just melt away and not be important or as important as we're making them out to be right now in our lives? Or all the energy and all the money and all the effort that we're pouring into things that are not pleasing to you? Lord, would you bring this type of refining fire, purifying fire in our lives? We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.